Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This Saturday, the 6th of November, you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. I'm James Barry. And I'm Pierre Morrow. <laughs> and uh, good morning to a nice, beautiful, sunny day outside, or mostly sunny. And thanks to Annie for another very interesting uh, show of Solidarity Breakfast. And um, the song that you were listening was A Spanner in the Works by Jack. Monk, and uh, hopefully we want to throw a lot of uh, spanners in the works of capitalism here in the next half hour as you listen to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links on 3CR Radio. And if you want to contact us, Giselle, that's right. You can get in touch with us uh, by email uh, aawl at aawl.org.au. Did you say we were brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links? I did. I, did. Uh, I thought so. Threw threw me out through my. Um, right. Patting out, um, but we also <laughs> we also continue to post news and current affairs and labour movement issues on social media. So we're on Facebook and Twitter. Look us up so you can continue to follow news from around the region. But that does mean we're going to go straight into uh, – before that, uh, in the second part of the show, we're going to speak to Jacob Grack, who is one of the campaign coordinators of Australia Asia Worker Links, but he's also started – a uh, a new group called the Raucous Anti Orcus Caucus, um, and, and obviously we're going to talk to him about the Orcus Alliance and what that means for the region, and particularly war with China. So that's the second part of the show. But first up, news from around the region, and we start in India, where a number of workers have been killed in separate incidents. During October, two workers at two cement plants owned by the global company Holcim were killed due to workplace incidents. The first one concerned a 49-year-old worker, Mr Subash, who died in a wagon-loading machine platform at the ACC Wadi Cement in Karnataka, while the second occurred at the ACC Barga Cement in Orissa, and involved a 39-year-old cement truck driver, Chandramani Pradhan. Both of these workers were subcontractors and unionists claim that no thorough investigation has been made into the causes of their deaths. In an unrelated matter, more than 100,000 metal workers brought together under five national union federations were able to strike a new national wage deal in late October. In this new agreement, permanent employees will receive a 13% increase in the minimum wage, as well as a 26.5% increase in fringe benefits and allowances. Just on the Holcim cement story, um, Holcim is a well-known anti-union company that has a appalling OHS uh, record. So it's not surprising that Holcim was involved in these two separate um, and, and separate subcontracting firm 
deaths of those workers. That's right. As, and as you brought, um, that was a, a good point, Giselle um, brought you many times on this program. Um, subcontracting uh, is one of the ways in which companies um, undermine our wages and conditions all around the world. And, and avoid liability for these sorts of tragedies. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, we now go to, um, uh, to Myanmar, where in mid-October, to coincide with the Asian summit, the military junta in Myanmar made a public announcement that it was going to release over 5,000 political prisoners and then broadcast it on TV, on national TV, hundreds of such prisoners leaving their places of detention. Now, within a few days, um, activists reported that over 100 of these released prisoners were rearrested again away from media scrutiny. With the end of the main rainy season, activists are expecting a new round of crackdowns to occur, almost uh, as um, to reinforce uh, what they were thinking. Uh, This week, the military junta announced that it will wipe out all the armed civilian resistance, usually known as um, People Defence Forces, or PDFs, within the next three months. Activists have already noticed an increase in the number of arrests in urban areas, while almost all ethnic armed groups are facing increasing confrontations. So um, it's going to be a bad few months in Myanmar. Uh, To Thailand now, where anti-government protests continue. Last Sunday, on the 31st of October, was the latest mass demonstrations in the streets of the capital, Bangkok, by anti-government activists wanting an end to the current military-dominated government, amending the constitution and complete reform of the Thai monarchy. During this week, activists have also launched a public campaign for the abolition of Article 112, the Les Majeste Law, where any criticism of the Thai royal family can be punished for up to 15 years in prison. They plan to collect one million signatures on a petition to be delivered to the government. In the meantime, repression against activists continues, with two activists, Benja Apan and Nuchanon Pairoj, this week were sentenced to six months and four months in jail, respectively. They were found guilty of contempt of court charges stemming from a protest outside a court in April of this year that was demanding the release of detained activists. I mean, I think both the Burma story and this Thai story, uh, unfortunately... Um, reflects, I think, the weakness of the global labour movement. I think globally we workers, we have no response, um, no adequate response right now to what is happening there. And can I just um, add about that story about the petition, what I found out um, later, that one of the main uh, people behind, the, one of the main organisers of the petition is our dear old comrade Somyot. Somyot, that's right. Uh, We're going to move now to Jordan, where teachers are continuing their industrial action. Last Wednesday, the 5th of... uh, Well, on Wednesday, the 5th of October, was World Teachers' Day, uh, and Labor activists in Jordan joined up with international unions to put pressure on the Jordanian government to reinstate the Jordanian Teachers' Association and release the 14 union leaders who are currently in jail. The JTA, the Jordanian Teachers' Association, was dissolved by the Jordanian government in late December of last year after major protests and strikes by tens of thousands of Jordanian teachers over wages and conditions. This year, the pressure on teachers has continued with scores of teachers being forced to retire early while the government has been used has used this special COVID pandemic laws to harass teachers and their supporter base. Education International has started a global campaign in support of the reinstatement of the JTA and the release of the jailed teachers. I'm always astounded by the militancy of teacher unions across the world. 
many other teacher union is Sri Lanka, where they're just so militant. Um, Anyway, very, very impressive, but um, all strength and power to the Jordanian teachers. That's right, that's right. And they had um, great great demonstrations before they got cracked down so um, hard. Um, we now go to Japan and the story about suicides, unfortunately. A recent report has shown that in uh, 2020, i.e. last year, due to the COVID pandemic, there was a 30% increase in the number of suicides by working women. These nearly 2,000 deaths are thought to be related to the workplace impacts that COVID had, both in terms of people losing their jobs, as well as the restrictions and hardships that public health guidelines caused women workers. There was not a corresponding increase for male workers' suicides. The reasons um, for this discrepancy between women and men is believed to be related to the type of employment whereby women are much more likely to work in insecure, irregular type of jobs with lower wages and benefits, face greater isolation and continue to carry the major burden of household and family tasks. Finally, in Australia, farm workers are set to receive a a wage rise. While in recent months many businesses have been advocating for a greater temporary migration to fill large-scale vacancies, a court decision this week may revolutionise the agricultural sector in Australia. In the last decade, the widespread underpayment and super-exploitation of temporary workers in Australian farms has generated much discussion and outrage. This week, one of the unions covering these workers, the AWU, was able to win a decision at the Fair Work Commission whereby a minimum wage of $25.41 per hour for any farm worker was set regardless of any existing piece rate pay arrangements. While the employers may still appeal this ruling and how well this new law will be able to be enforced are yet to be seen, a new report just a couple of days after this decision reinforced the need for higher wages by highlighting the high number of temporary Pacific Islander workers that abscond from farms while on special work visas due to the bad working conditions. It's it's a really a, a huge issue that, and we hope that uh, it um, this new um, ruling will actually um, really um, increase the wages of uh, all the um, workers on the farm. So yeah, and they'll be paid properly. That's right. That's right. So that that brings us to the end of the uh, news roundup. It's just on eleven past nine. Of- I've turned off the wrong mic there, really. That's uh, what happens sometime when you try and do three things at once. Um, it, it's 11 past 9 o'clock. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on 3CR Radio. We'll go to a, a community um, announcement, and then we'll be back with uh, Jacob Krebs talking about the new AUKUS Alliance and what we can do about it. Across Australia and around the world, we've seen reactionary right-wing mobilisations around anti-vaccine, anti-lockdown and anti-public health demands. In response to this, the campaign against racism and fascism have launched the campaign Pro-Vax, Pro-Union, Anti-Fascist to combat the far right and to fight for public health, safety and social solidarity. Go to www.calf.melbourne to join the fight for the safety of workers in the community and against the far right. A 3CR supporter. See ya.
3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3CR.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws? or stopped and questioned by police for being outside. Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. It's just on, uh, what time it's, but just on 14 uh, past nine o'clock. I was going to say we're having some trouble getting to Jacob, but I think we're having online. No, we don't. Um, let me just put um, Giselle on. That will tell oh, us. Oh, it's, it's always fun walking into a studio when the microphones are already on. Thank you, Pierre. <laughs> um, it's 15 minutes past nine o'clock. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. We are going into an interview um, now with James Brennan, who is also a member, a, a part, an organiser in the Raucous Anti Orcus Caucus. James, thanks so much for joining us this morning, particularly at such short notice. Um, listeners, you will have worked out that Jacob unfortunately wasn't available this morning, but welcome, James. Thanks, Giselle. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, we, you know, there's a lot has been made in the um, mainstream media about the AUKUS alliance relating to nuclear submarines, but we know that it's much broader than that and it hasn't really received much coverage. Can you talk to us a little bit about the broader technological cooperation that's involved in AUKUS? Yeah, well, I'm sure, you know, like as yourself and many listeners would know about some of the aspects that Australia already shares with the US military, things, you know, like Pine Gap and not just the um, resources through Pine Gap, but also some of the, um, you know, agreements that are shared through their uh, satellites that are able to be used to, you know, send drones across the world and also, you know, listen in as parts of this, um, you know, parts of Asia and obviously... Uh, you know, goes without saying that they want to listen in to things, particularly in relation to China as well. I mean, I think, you know, we don't fully know all of the details of what's going to happen with the agreement, as with a lot of these kind of, um, you know, military packs. They don't necessarily publish all of the information that may be of, you know, concern to a lot of us. Um, You know, they publish things about nuclear-fueled submarines and things like that, which I think, you know, by and large, people without looking into it can kind of, you know, perhaps get behind a little bit. But some of the details on some of that information, I think, is starting to come out. And, you know, people like uh, Jacob 
do you know a lot of really important research and trying to get to the bottom of what this is actually going to look like. But I think we will need to wait a little bit more time to see the full details of what that looks like. It's been juxtaposed in the media, this AUKUS alliance versus an alliance with the French. But I'm interested in your views on this. It seems to me we're just talking about the different makeup of imperialist interests in the Asia-Pacific region and neither alliance would have made any, well, would not have been to the benefit of a whole bunch of people living in Pacific islands who are experiencing um, the pressure of rising sea levels in relation to climate change and so on. Is it? Is there any value in the in the juxtaposition of AUKUS, AUKUS versus an alliance with the French? Yeah, I think you know a lot has obviously been made of the last little while about Scott Morrison, you know, lying um, to you know Macron and the French leader and. And about break, you know, coming out of a deal. I think the one thing I will say, um, I, you know, I, I think it's not really that important to kind of get into the ins and outs of that. Except, you know, it's not obviously ideal to have the leader of your country who lies generally, and especially, you know, kind of lies to other political leaders. I certainly that's a, probably a good attribute for a leader. But I think that, you know, there was no tender process in order to get the original French deal, and I think that is something that is pretty common with this government is that they just make deals without a process to kind of go through it. You know, we saw a few years ago a large sum, $500 million go to uh, um, the Great Barrier Reef Fund without kind of much process of what that would look like and a tender process of other environmental groups that perhaps could use that money, you know, for actual, you know, climate change sort of uh, related issues. So, I think that is a problem. You know, they're not, they don't go through a process of finding out what would be the, the best deal that's going to work for the government. But in the end, it is, like you said, it's still going to be the same thing. But the original deal for the uh, French subs were not nuclear fueled, but they had the capacity to um, become nuclear submarines as well. So there's not really that much of a difference in that. But I think, you know, what we can see is that Morrison spent close to a full year negotiating with the US in particular to change the deal, to go with the US and UK agreement. And I think, you know, what is part of that is the the broader implications for Australia becoming an even bigger, you know, imperial force in the region. And things like you mentioned at the top, the increased troops, US troops in, in places like Darwin, you know, really an increased US military presence across the whole country with, you know, even more kind of permanent... U.S. bases here, and you know, the U.S. really able to set up here and position themselves in Asia. Um, hi, James. This is um, Pierre. Um, I'd actually like to keep um, that um, thought process going further because obviously the announcement was uh, was very much a nationalistic, uh, overboard type of announcement with flags everywhere. Um, but my my question really is, apart from the the, um, the 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 spectacle of it, I mean, Australia's already already had a very long standing. Uh, military defence pact in term with um, the US and the and the British with uh, with the ANZUS. So how does this um, deepen or or change or what was the, the what 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 is the extra bit that this new agreement gives that Australia didn't have? 
It's a good question, Pierre. And we had actually an event on Thursday, and one of the speakers at that, Emma Shortis, has written a book, Our Exceptional Friend, is about Australia's alliance with the US. And it's pretty much a question that we, we pose to her as well. And I think it doesn't... I would say it's not really uh, changes a lot within that alliance, except, you know, I guess strengthens that alliance itself. And, and I think, um, you know, those kind of ties become stronger. You know, that although, like we said, that the uh, submarines is not the only part of the deal, it, it does have some significance. And it's, the UK is the only uh, other country that the US has kind of shared their secrets of how they kind of build and manufacture these nuclear fuel submarines. So I guess it further entrenches Australia within that alliance with the US and bringing the UK uh, into that alliance themselves because, you know, the ANZUS alliance obviously originally included New Zealand who, uh, you know, more or less not really a part of the alliance over uh, fallout over kind of nuclear issues uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, they, they still, New Zealand are sort of um, still a part of, you know, Five Eyes security network, which Australia and US and UK are a part of as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's hard to say why it needs to happen. I guess it's, you know, sometimes uh, on the left as well, we form another committee or another campaign group when we could have just worked together with those people and something else. Um, you know, it's just, I guess a part of kind of building on the thing that they already have. Um, and so one additional question um, about that. So uh, say over the next couple of years, um, what kind of uh, US uh, troop build-up um, do you see happening? And are we going to get um, UK troops as well, which I don't believe they are stationed here at the moment? Yeah, I'm not sure about the, whether we will get UK troops here as well. I, I'd say that that's a fair possibility, especially within... Um, you know, if not on a permanent basis, but certainly within things like the Talisman Sabre military exercises that happen uh, in Queensland and the Northern Territory uh, yearly, you know, a lot of those, the focus of those over the last little while has been about training uh, military exercises in response to um, China, essentially, uh, which is, you know, a change from a few years ago when there were some co cooperation with um, China within that kind of military exercises. Um, so I think, you know, sorry. I was just going to say, I think, you know, we, we actually, we had a speaker again at the event um, from Darwin as well. And, you know, when you go to Darwin or indeed Alice Springs as well, you know, you can see how much the military, the US military, the Australian military has become so intertwined within the town there, you know, talking to people about the bases or about Pine Gap and things like that. People don't see a way now to sustain those cities without that involvement. And, you know, that becomes very much like a lot of towns in the US which are so intertwined within weapons manufacturing or the military itself that they feel that their economy and society can't run without it. Uh, hi, James. It's uh, James here. Um, I just have a question uh, about the regional implications of this AUKUS deal. Uh, it seems to be that some of the countries in the region, the smaller smaller powers, such as Indonesia, have seen this as an escalation, an unnecessary escalation of tension between China and, and the rest. And Indonesia, as we know, is not a an ally of China. Um, do, you, do you see this as a case? Well, particularly the point about nuclear submarines itself seems to be one of the areas where there's... Uh, 
uh, it's seen as an escalation or, or, or an arms race uh, being escalated, um, particularly considering some of the more belligerent voices in China are now saying that that makes Australia a target for tactical or, or strategic nuclear weapons. They consider Australia to be a nuclear power now. Um, do, you, do you see that maybe that the significance of AUKUS is that it is an ex- escalation in pushing conflict closer? Well, I think unlike a lot of the, you know, perhaps particularly from the left, that there's been an idea that this is Australia being pushed from the US. This is a deal seen very much uh, pushed by Australia, I would say. And you could see even in the press conference that happened on that early uh, Thursday morning that it was Scott Morrison that spoke first. And I think it is a continuation of Australia wanting to be a bigger imperial military force in the region. I think you're right about that. You know, one of the things about the, you know nuclear submarines is that they have much larger range, and you know they are submarines that are have targeted weaponry to target land-based targets. They're not to uh, you know counter other submarines or, or sea uh, craft. They're they're ones to target things on land, which uh, you know we can draw conclusions about what those targets may be if they're wanting to be really long-range missiles. So I think that that is clear. And I think, you know, it's also we would be the only country in the world who has nuclear-fueled submarines but doesn't have either nuclear weapons or nuclear power. And that, you know, again, I guess in the slippery slope of Australia going down that road again, we know there are many people within the Australian political class that really want to push for either nuclear weapons or, or nuclear power itself. So... It is a slippery slope there, and I think that, um, you know, it's clear that it's not just... I don't think China was making a threat to say that uh, Australia it becomes a target there. It's for many, um, you know, types of targets that, um, you know, so many people could see that as a reason to target Australia itself is by increasing its military and, and wanting to sort of become a bigger part of those war games. James, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're just in the closing minutes of the show. What, just as a, a final comment, what is next for the raucous, anti-AUKUS caucus in terms of your organising strategy or any upcoming events? Yeah, thanks, Giselle. We actually have on December 10th, which I'm sure listeners will know, is uh, you know International Human Rights Day. Um, so if you're in Melbourne... We have um, some at the State Library from 5.30 p.m. that night. We're going to have an event there with some performers, live music, and, and some great speakers as well. And that's actually going to be, you know, a weekend of events. There'll be um, an action in Sydney on the Saturday and also WA, Adelaide, and across the country. So for the people listening, they can jump on um, social media or other um, platforms through 3CR and find out where the action is happening around them. James, again, thank you so much, particularly thanks for coming in really at the last minute with no notice or preparation. It was very, very informative. Thank you so much, and we'll get those details out. That was...
That was James Brennan. He is from the Raucous Anti-Orcus Caucus, one of the founding members of that organisation, talking about the implications of the new alliance or seemingly new alliance on politics, warfare and militarisation of the Asia-Pacific region. I'll just give you those details again. Um, it's December 10 at 5.30pm at the State Library. There'll be an event um, with speakers and music and activism uh, to really show the implications of this deal. I like the name of, of their group. I'll have to see what the acronym actually comes out of all those <laughs> names. But uh, RAC, actually. <laughs> RAC. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, we can't yeah. give them RAC. RAC yeah, is already yeah. the Refugee Action Collective. Yeah, yeah. But uh, all right, well, and, and all the best to them. And of course, this is uh, just one of the latest, one of the, the last. There's been lots of movements before them, and I know a lot of people have been involved for many years. Um, the fight against militarism in Australia. So, um, well done comrades but really that brings us to the end of another program of asia pacific currents so um asia pacific currents brought to you every week by australia asia worker links on your favorite community radio station 3cr radio stay tuned and keep listening um for so that for palestine remembered coming up straight after these community announcements and but we'll be back next uh, week at the same time at nine o'clock that's all from me pm Morrow. me giselle hannah and me james barry you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.